Welcome to the Cowie Baptist Church podcast. To learn more about Cowie, including in our gathering times, visit us online at cowie.church. Enjoy the message. Hey, man, you know, that has been a declaration throughout um, this season that we've been in, that even in the midst of the valley, God is good and He is faithful. And I'm reminded, as David said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging for bread. And I'm so thankful for his faithfulness, for his goodness, for his mercy, for his grace. Uh, just a moment ago, I uh, got a text message from a, a friend, uh, uh, Eva Jane uh, Deals. Many of you may know Eva Jane and Mike. Mike has been uh, in the hospital, and she had just sent me a message that, um, that his heart rate had just gotten very, very high, and that they had... Uh, the doctors had, had come in, and, and I just want to ask us to do something together. I, uh, there's something powerful when God's people uh, come together in, in corporate prayer, and there are many needs among us, including that uh, of Mike. And so I want to invite you just together with me uh, to call uh, on the name uh, of the Lord. Father, we are grateful, Lord, for your goodness, Lord, that even in the midst of the valley, Lord, that is that David wrote, Lord, yea, though I walk through the valley, Lord, of, of difficult times, of, of, of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Lord, as we look at our lives, Lord, we know that even in the midst of the valley, Lord, you are God, Lord. And we uh, come to you, Lord, thankful that we can approach the very throne room of heaven. Lord, we lift up specifically uh, Mike and Eva Jane Deals, Lord. We pray, God, for Mike in this very moment, Lord. We know that you Father, are the great physician, Lord, and we've seen your faithfulness, Lord, in his life through liver transplants and through so many things, Father, and we know that you are faithful, Lord, and that you are uh, working, God, and that you are able, Lord, to do abundantly above what we ask or think, Lord. You know every detail about what's happening with him. Lord, you know every detail about what's going on and the things that may be burdening uh, many that are uh, in this room or listening online, Father, and we know that, uh, God, that you care, Lord, that you tell us to cast our cares on you, Lord, and so we lift uh, these things up to you, Lord. We lift Mike up to you in this very moment, Lord. We lift up Tammy Walker, Lord. We lift up others that are uh, walking through difficult uh, times, Father. And we pray, God, knowing, Lord, you are the great physician, Lord. And we ask you, Father, to touch and work in a way that only uh, you can work, God. We pray, Lord, that uh, even in this moment in a hospital room, God, that your presence might be felt in a powerful way, God, and that, that, that there might be a, a change in that situation, Lord, that could only be explained. Uh, Lord, uh, from your touch, Lord, and from your uh, power, Father. We come, Lord, today, and we ask you, Lord, to be in the midst of our service, Father, and, Lord, that your tangible presence, Lord, might speak to our hearts, Lord, that we might walk away from uh, the time that we gather today, Lord, changed by your grace, Lord, by your goodness, Lord. We stand firm in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, Lord. We are grateful for that grace, Lord, and we rest in that this moment. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for loving us, Lord. And we, uh, Lord, just trust all these things in your care. In Jesus' name, amen. We are walking through the book of First Peter, and I'm excited to uh, walk through today and look toward, if uh, Lord willing, we're, we're going to at least read all the verses that are uh, in uh, the last part of chapter 5, and we're going to try to work through those as much as we can, and uh, I want to share a message today uh, entitled, The Battle is Real. The Battle is Real. We're going to begin reading in verse number 7 
end. Uh, we'll read uh, the, the rest of uh, chapter 5 uh, this morning. Let's, let's read God's Word together. You'll see it uh, on the screen or uh, take your copy of, of God's Word and follow along. Scripture says uh, this, Casting all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered for a little while, and it may be that little while, right? Scripture says this momentary light affliction is working a far exceeding weight of glory in the eternal. Therefore, we don't lose heart. And that little while, uh, I believe in many cases that it is this life that we, we experience this, the difficulty, some of the hard times that we face. We experience those for a little while. But I want you to know that there's a day coming where Jesus himself, right? Look at the rest of it. So with the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself Perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you to Him. Be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Right? We could stop right there. I want to finish just a little bit more, though. Through Silvanus, my faithful brother. Uh, so, so he says, for, for so I regard him, I've written to you briefly. So there's, there's this thought that, uh, that Silas either uh, delivered this, right? That he was the, the carrier of this, or that uh, Paul, uh, or excuse me, that Peter. Uh, spoke uh, and he wrote these things for him that he acted in that way and so he says that uh, that through Silvanus our faithful brother I have written to you briefly exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God stand firm in it so we see the purpose of this whole uh, letter we see this the purpose of all these things he says this is uh, I've written this to you briefly this short letter exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God that there is hope in the midst of suffering that we've been born again into a living hope that that we've been called to live holy lives that we've been called to walk in in the grace that's in Christ that we are to recognize that we're going to walk through difficult times that there's suffering there's hard times but there is hope and he says that, that you stand firm in that she who is in Babylon, and, and we know early church would, would agree that this letter came uh, from Rome, that Peter wrote this from Rome, and, and there's different perspectives that you can take on the reason that he chose to use uh, the word Babylon. But he says, she who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark. Uh, now this next part, sometimes we want to take scripture literally, maybe with the, the current situation, you might make people even more nervous than normal. There was a standard greeting uh, in those times, and you might see uh, greet one another with a holy kiss. I'm not sure you know, that that is a good idea right now. So in, in normally we, uh, in our culture, we shake hands, we fist bump, we elbow, we air hug. Um, there's all kind of things that can take place, but he gives this picture, uh, and I'm reminded that we are in this uh, together, right? And that's one of the things we see and on the gifts and the, the people of God come together uh, to walk together in the grace of God as we walk through uh, a, a land that's far from home with tremendous hope. See, we are on our uh, journey home. He says, greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace be to all you who are in Christ. And so I want to read this overarching kind of thought that, that summarizes to me these last, this last section of scripture and it's this stand firm in your faith and resist the enemy knowing victory is already won and that it won't be long till the God of all grace will personally put an end to all suffering 
Boy, I'm grateful for that. Man, I am grateful for that because here's the, the reality. The battle is real. Now, I walked in with these swords, and I'm confident that I can give this to any man in this room, and we immediately know what to do with this, right? We, we immediately, I mean, it's not going to take but a second. And, and we know, right? I mean, it's like an instant. I gave this to Bill McGahan in the fellowship hall immediately, right? We are... It's just kind of where we're at, right? And we, we know those kind of things, and we, we play this, this way. And we, a lot of times, we, through our lives, we, we go through these, these, uh, these times where boys will play together. I, I had the blessing of keeping um, the, the crab trees, uh, little ones the other night. We, we kept them for a few minutes so they could go out for their anniversary. And we, we gave Bruce and Cheryl a night off. They had a pretty big week. And we're thankful. Bruce is actually in our security room now, and, and we're thankful uh, that he is home and, and just the, the goodness of the Lord. But I want you to know, when you give a little boy a sword, they know exactly what to do. You'll see a picture from, this is real-life footage at my house. I didn't do a video, uh, but you will see. Now, now it didn't take long. I brought the small guns. I was like, Grant, can I borrow one of your Nerf guns? And he's got like the big ones. Like we, But with this one was the one that he... Uh, allow me to use this morning, but you put that sword, and it's like immediately we go into it because we know uh, there's something about us, right, that recognizes a battle. There's something about us that, that does that, and, and here's the thing for most of us. Most of the battles and most of the, the things that we face and the, the, the times that we engage uh, in that, most of them, for most of us in this room, it's make-believe. For most of us in this room... When it comes to that, now we may battle certain things and we may face adversity and sickness and all that, but when it comes to, to actual war, now there are men and women in this room, though, that have fought, but they fought for the freedoms of our country. They fought and, and given us in, in their sacrifice and their uh, service, right? They've given us the, the, the ability uh, to be able to worship freely in this place, defending freedom. But for most of us, the reality of fighting in a war is just make-believe. You know, we think about this journey that we are on, and I want to remind you today that the battle is real. And as I bring up some points today, I want you to, I'm not going to read, or I'm not going to say this statement every time, but followers of Christ on their journey home must do some things. And so we're going to list those things. And so we recognize that this letter was written to uh, to these uh, exiles, right, to these people that were far from home, and, and it's written in a way, and we recognize that in this world as we walk, that we are far from home, that we're on our journey home. Uh, last week, our kids, uh, and we're so grateful for just our, our kid men team and those that serve uh, so faithfully, and how God just continues to grow uh, in families. Next week, we'll be having another parent-child dedication. We had uh, many babies that were uh, part of that a few weeks back, and we'll be doing that again uh, next week. And so we're, we're grateful for those things. We're grateful for, for so many uh, children and those that invest in them. And uh, last week, that you know, we want them to put love in action. So uh, I saw last week, you know, there was a, a, a beautiful example. There was a prayer train, right, in our Wednesday night uh, mission friends class. And, and just seeing Miss Jamison Roy and and Bill and Debbie, and just they were in there, and the kids had a little prayer train, and they could put their prayers in, and it taught them 
how to pray, right? We need to teach our kids that way. We, we teach our kids to serve. And, and one of the things they were going to do is write letters of encouragement. This is, this is really what this is, right? Peter wrote a letter of encouragement uh, to some people that were walking through difficult times. Uh, there are times that I receive a card from some of you, and it's this beautiful thing that there's a letter of encouragement. There's something that says, hey, I'm thinking of you, and we're not home yet, but God is still working. And we need those kind of reminders from one another in the grace of God. So we had our kids, they're going to write this little card, and uh, this one is to encourage the homebound. Now, I kept this one. Uh, we decided not to send this one out, um, but it's a treasure. And here it is. It says, I hope you love it in heaven because we miss you here, and I hope you read this note. Now, when that child said they were homebound, they thought they were homebound, right? It was how it works and and I just love that right I just all right so so followers of Christ homebound right we're we're on our, our journey home we realize that's the first thing I want you to remember we realize that we're in a very real battle I want to read you something that Charles Swindoll wrote about the last section of first Peter he says this, the dramatic climax of his letter sounds like a general rallying his troops before leading them into battle. Uh, and I like to think of the church as a battleship, right? That we are a, a people on mission for the glory of his name. Uh, we're not a cruise ship that somehow tries to find luxury for ourselves. But we are a battleship that is in the midst of this world for the glory uh, of Christ. And we are walking in that. And he says he's, this, this general rallying his troops before leading them to battle. And he began by reminding them of the fiery ordeal that would uh, test and strengthen their faith. We see that in chapter 4, uh, the, the Maybe verse 12 and following, but we see that picture. And then he turns to the appointed commanders, the elders of the churches, and he exhorts them, Swindoll says, to lead their battalions as noble examples of Christ-like leadership. If you want to pray for me, that is the prayer that I would love for you to pray for me, that I would lead this army, right, that God is assembling an army of believers and he continues to bring people in. And if you are here, there's a purpose for you in the midst of this church. And I believe with all my heart when I read the scripture that if you're not serving God and using your gifts in the midst of that, that there is a deficiency in the body of Christ because he assembles us all together on mission for the glory of his name. So he turns to these commanders and he exhorts them to lead their battalions as noble examples of Christ-like leadership. Then Peter addresses those who are younger in faith, urging them to submit to the commander's authority and leadership. They need to follow their examples with humility, entrusting themselves to the great commander-in-chief in whose service the battle can never be lost. Boy, I loved that intro, and I love that picture of just this recognition that there is a battle. And in the midst of this life, we finished last week with this thought of casting our anxiety. And I had all these boxes, right? And Kelly held them in this service. Chris held them in the next service. And there was this, all these boxes that they were having to balance and to navigate. There's a lot happening, right? There's anxiety. There's, there's things that we can feel overwhelmed. There's so many things that we uh, face. So in the midst of this life, there's a lot of those things there. And, and Peter writes and says, hey, trust God. Follow his plan in all your ways. Trust him because he knows what's best. Now, when we think about anxiety, when we think about those things, all of us uh, face that. At sometimes all of us face the feelings 
of anxiousness, the feelings of worry. Uh, and there's a, even in, in situations, there are biological uh, disorders. There are things that, uh, and, and God uses medicine. God uses a lot of different things in the midst of our life. But in every, in every situation of anxiety, there is a spiritual part. It's hard for us to separate everything. We take care of ourselves. We, we're supposed to do all these things, right, that help to balance some of that. But in every uh, part of, an, of an anxiety uh, situation or anxious thoughts, right, there is a spiritual part, and, and they are lies from Satan that fuel that. So at the root of our anxiety, there are lies that Satan would desire us to believe uh, that fuel that because worry in itself is the sin of not trusting in the power and promises of God. Now, I don't like, we don't like to really highlight worry being a sin because it gets us all, right, because we worry about certain things. And Jesus uh, would, would tell us, hey, don't uh, take no thought for tomorrow. Tomorrow's got enough trouble on its own. He said, doesn't God uh, clothe the lilies, right? Doesn't, there's not a sparrow that falls. Even the hairs of y'all's heads are numbered. And, and we have those kind of things, right? And he says, we can, we can trust him, but Satan, and one of his primary lies, one of the things that's at the root of so much, is Satan would desire us to doubt the goodness of God. See, Satan would love for us to look at the suffering and the circumstances and to question the goodness of God. He would tell lies about that. Verse 7 says, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So there's this truth. Peter says, hey, God cares for you. You can trust him with your situation. You can trust his ways best. You can cast all of your cares on him. And then in verse 8, he says, but be aware, be sober, be vigilant. Now, this would have been, uh, this language would have been deeply rooted in uh, Peter's life, right? You remember when uh, Jesus had left him to, to watch and pray, and he had fallen asleep, and in the midst of that, he wasn't prepared uh, for the, the temptation. He wasn't prepared for the trials that were ahead, and he writes in that kind of of language. He says, listen, be aware you have an enemy. So we're going to recognize that the battle that we are in is a very real battle, right? That we are in that and we recognize who the enemy is. Look at verse 8. He says, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now in this verse alone, Peter uses the word adversary. It is this word that, that is a, a legal type word. It's this, a, this plaintiff, this opponent, this accuser uh, that's there. It makes us think of the name Satan, which comes from a uh, Hebrew word for adversary. And there's this reality that you have an adversary and he is against you. And he loves nothing more than to destroy. He hates God and because he hates God, he hates you. He says, you, your adversary, the devil, right, the, uh, the abolos, the, the slanderer, right, it refers to how he falsely accuses God's people. We're going to be walking through the book of Job in the coming weeks. You can do that online or uh, in the paper copies that are around. But we're going to see a picture uh, into some of that. In, in Revelation 9, he uh, is, is referred to in some terms that mean destroyer. When we see Jesus talk about him, he says he's the father of lies, that the truth is not in him. He says that, that, he is, uh, that the thief, right, referring uh, to him, says he comes to steal, kill, and to 
destroy. We read in this verse, and he says that he's seeking someone uh, whom he may devour. This word for devour, it's a word that would describe an animal uh, eating its prey. It's this picture of gulping or of swallowing up. It's this picture of uh, that. And I want you to think about that for a moment. I want you to be very quiet, very still in this moment, and just think about it. He says, we have an adversary that roams about. You can almost hear it. Be very quiet. Roar! Sorry. I'm sorry. Sorry. I got you. I got you. But, but the scripture says that he roams about as a roaring lion, and, and he comes unexpected. He roams about as a roaring lion. John 10.10 10 says that the thief comes not but to steal. And when someone steals something, it means that they take it from you without you knowing it. It's that kind of picture. The word kill is a word that, that would mean uh, butcher or slaughter and to destroy. And in the Greek, that word has a prefix on it that gives this picture of total destruction and total annihilation. It is this picture. I want to remind you that Satan, for those that have been saved by the grace of God, Satan can do nothing to your soul. But I want to remind you that he can destroy your life. He can destroy your testimony. And his goal is that he might render the people of God ineffective for the mission of God that he might get us caught up in all those things and here's the reality he is watching uh, Satan is, is, is no equal we, we sometimes think about and there's these, uh, this picture of Satan and God and there's this battle going on uh, he is a created being he is a fallen angel he is no equal he is no match for the king of kings and lord of lords he uh, is there, there's no picture uh, like that he is not omnipresent he is not all knowing there are all those kind of things that we need to understand but, but he and his demons, they are watching, and they are waiting, and they are looking for that moment. And, and he is waiting to destroy. But I want to remind you, I want us to remember that his tactics are still the same. His tactics today are still the same. We see his first tactics in Genesis 3. When we read uh, of, of just the fall, we, we see these things that we can apply and that we can see in our lives, right? We, we trust and we have the Word of God. Uh, I used to read the Word of God, and I would say, you know what? Sometimes these things feel like uh, cruel commandments, right? There are these things that, I, that God may, may keep us from doing. Before I was in Christ, before I was saved, I thought, man, I, I would look at God's Word. I'd never read it, but I would look at it, and all I understood about it was that it was these cruel commandments, right? But I'm reminded that God's Word is filled with sweet solutions for life, that, that it's not these cruel commandments that are trying to keep us from something. And that's the first way that Satan tempted Eve. He tempted her to wonder, what is God withholding? What is God keeping from us? You know, he took the Scripture, and, and that's how Satan works. He twists the Scripture, and he took something positive, Right, we read in God's word, and he had told them, you can eat of all this. All this is yours. You can eat of all the trees, but not this one. But the serpent was crafty. He's sneaky. Genesis 3, verse 1 says, The serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord has made. And he said to the woman, notice how he twists it. He said, Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree? Of the garden. He began to twist things around. He began to cause her to wonder about 
what God was withholding. And, you know, we sometimes maybe a, a teenager in the room, maybe there's young people and they say, you know what, God is uh, keeping me from doing all these things. What is God, you know, you only live once. You have these kind of things. He's keeping us from all these things. He tempted her to believe that God was keeping something great from her. He tempted her, secondly, to wonder of the trustworthiness of God's words. He said, verse 4, he says in Genesis 3, he says, oh, you won't surely die. <laughs> oh, he, he didn't mean that. He, his word, it really, didn't mean, it really didn't mean that. That's not exactly what he was saying. However, if you look back in Genesis 2, God had specifically warned them, and he said, In the day that you shall eat of it, you shall surely die. I think that's long about verse 16 or 17 of Genesis 2. And, and Satan says, hey, God didn't really mean that. And, and by the way, God, he, he just doesn't want you to be able to be like him. He tempted her to question the character of God. He tempted her to, to wonder and, be, and just question God's character. He says in verse 5 of Genesis 3, For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. We read in First John the, about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the I and the pride of life and sin, Satan wants us to see it in those things. And just as it was in Eden, there, there's this reality that sin is attractive in the moment, but the consequences are great, right? When she looked at this, it was good to look at, right? When, when she was tempted, it was good to look at the lust of the eye, right? And she looked at it and it was looked good. It was so attractive. It was so something that we can't have. The forbidden fruit, it was good to taste. And the lust of the flesh, it will satisfy me in this moment. And Satan loves to lie and say that you cannot find satisfaction in, in God that, that, that you are never, that the only way, and, and we buy into these things, right? We think we have to have more and more. We think if we have this thing, there, there can be materialism. It can be uh, this uh, uh, times that, that Satan would attack marriages and say, uh, you know what, you're never going to be happy in this situation, but, but over here you can find uh, this. It's this lust of the flesh, this lust of the eye. And, and in this situation, he said, it, it's good to look at. It's good to taste. It's good to make you wise, right? He said, in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, right? It fuels the pride of life. And so we see these kind of things coming at us. And you can fill in the blanks of what those might be in our life. But everything within her, all of a sudden, right before, uh, she's content, these things are there. But all of a sudden, the lies come in. And I believe Satan works incredibly in this world system. He works in these things to constantly, and, and he has been studying, right, where we're no different than he was in the garden. We're, he understands the tactics. He understands the way. And all of a sudden, she is burning with desire. Satan has her right where he wants her, right? And he has got the lure that is out there, and he is standing there with his pole ready to set the hook. She took some of the fruit. She gave it to her husband who was with her. And he ate of it too. 
Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus in God's word is 100% truth. And anything that discounts any part of that is 100% lie. And see, what Satan likes to do is take a little bit of truth and twist it with a little bit of lie. And he gets us in the midst. He tried the same thing on Jesus in the wilderness. I wish we had time to read that full picture. But Jesus resisted Satan and he used the word of God to ensure victory over him. And it is the word of God that is our greatest weapon in the battle with Satan. See, it's, when we think about our kids, it's not so much how we can protect them from the lies. Because here's the reality. No matter how hard we try to protect them from those things, they will be exposed at some point to those things. To the lies. Satan is crafty and he's looking. He's doing it through so many things, through the teaching, even in our school systems, through so many things. It's not so much how much we can protect them from the lie, but it's how much that they know the truth. And we've got to be people that will pour our lives out right into discipling and pouring in to the generation that is behind us. That may be just a few years behind us or it may be a long way behind us, but we have got to be serious about that. A.W. Tozer said that the, the greatest weapon of Satan, Satan's greatest weapon is man's ignorance of God's word. It's an incredible quote, so much truth. His greatest weapon is ignorance of God's holy word, of his word. In verse 9, Peter says, But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. So, so we resist him, firm in our faith. We resist the devil. Uh, James says, re resist the devil and he will flee from you. Right? We see this kind of picture. We, we renew our mind with the word of God. So the greatest weapon that we have in the battle is an understanding of the word of God that we might take God's word and that we might hide it in our heart, right? How does a young man keep his way pure? By taking heed according to your word. Your word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. We take God's word. Now Paul wrote in Romans 12, he gave this perspective on all of this and he says I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God in light of God's mercy and his grace that you might present your bodies as a living sacrifice that you might say my life is yours I surrender everything I walk in and he said that's our reasonable worship that we might uh, live our lives holy that we might recognize that our lives have been have been bought with a, a price right and we are to glorify God in our bodies he says we're going to go in that perspective and then he says something that now science is proving true I love when that happens he says don't be conformed into the pattern of this world he said don't allow the world J.B. Phillips translation says don't don't allow uh, the world to press you into its mold it's this picture of molding clay or pressing in play-doh you see kids take that and do that he said don't allow the world to do that because the reality is that that's what's all around us that's what's trying through our television through media through so many things trying to press it into its mold but then he says but be ye transformed by the renewing 
of your mind. I read a book recently by Mark Laser and Tim Quentin, and uh, it was talking about the, the psychology of the mind and, and how our mind works uh, in regards to uh, these strongholds of sin. And they refer to our brains as being plastic. And they, it was kind of an interesting perspective. And it gave this picture that we have these ruts and these, these patterns of our thought. When something happens and we, we have these, uh, these ways that our, our neuropathways go. And we run kind of down those directions. And it's the easiest path. And, and, and we, we fall into sin, we fall into things, and it becomes a, a natural way. It's this lie that we may believe uh, about ourselves, we may believe about God, that, that we run down this path when certain things happen. But it's been proven now that we can uh, create a trench by intentionally taking the lie. Uh, it's, an, it's, a, it's a beautiful picture. There's a book I've been reading, uh, Craig Rochelle wrote, that's called Winning uh, the War in your mind it's a, a very neat book brings in some of these things as well and there's this picture that says we take the lie we recognize we're in a battle we recognize the enemy we know the weapons that are there we take the word of God and, and we recognize these things that are that are not true to the word of God that are coming in our head and we take every thought captive when these things come in our mind we, we recognize those things and we take that lie and we replace it with the truth of God's word and we repeat the process and over time what they've proven is that this old pathway that we used to run down now all of a sudden through lots of work and if you've ever dug a trench like a rut just happens on its own and it's something that causes us to fall into and get in a mess and all those kind of things but a trench is something that we work for a trench is something that the brotherhood comes together for and makes something for somebody to do something positive and there's this thought that we take the word of God and we recognize the lies that we have believed and we, we, we respond in the word of God and we take those things and we replace them with the truth and, and, and these trenches are rewired and we walk differently. We, we take those kind of things and Satan, he uses so many things. He uses so many things in our life. Busyness, right? They, we can become so busy that we say, you know what? I know there's a new uh, part of the reading plan. I kind of got behind the last time and I really don't have time. How much time should we spend in God's Word every day. There's no great answer for that, and it's different for me on different days. The psalmist said, I have hidden your Word in my heart. We, we must read the Word of God. We must meditate on the Word of God. Joshua 1 uh, talks about uh, just that. We say, Psalm 1, we, we see these places where we are to meditate. We read and we take a truth and we meditate on that. There, there's this thought of, of all through our day, maybe we start our day in God's Word and there's something that we take from that and we meditate on that truth. But so many times we're so busy that we say we don't have time for prayer. We're so busy that we don't have time for God's Word. My father-in-law used to say that being busy is a little acronym. He'd say it's being under Satan's yoke. And, and we take pride in it in our culture. We take pride in someone says, how are you doing? And my response many times is, man, busy, busy, busy. Kind of crazy. We're, we're running crazy. We're busy, busy, busy. We're in that. But if we're busy about the wrong things, even if they're not bad things... It crowds out the best things. And we become so busy about 
menial things that we miss out on the best things. Busyness, I believe, reveals our idols because it's what we take our time and spend instead of the Word of God. It reveals to us many times what is important to us. It can reveal our idols, and our idleness can reveal something about our view of comfort, our view of ease. Sometimes we value comfort, we value the ease of life rather than the Word of God. Peter says, cast all your cares on Him. All the things that you face, you can trust Him in all those things. Be on the alert. Realize that you're in a battle. Resist Him firm in your faith. Renew your mind in God's Word. And then, he says, when you're doing all those things, when you take those things, he said, you can just rest in God's grace. Look at verse 10 and 11. He says, after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to His eternal glory in Christ. Boy, I love this next part. I love, love, love this next part. He says, hey, this is, you've got to recognize your in a battle there's all these things that are going on but in the midst of that I want you to rest in the grace that's in Christ Jesus he says listen uh, the God who has called you to his own glory in Christ will himself perfect confirm strengthen and establish you to him be dominion forever and ever amen can I remind you this morning that if you are in Christ you will be perfected confirmed strengthened and established this word perfect it it's translated in other places in the scripture as this word mend it's the same word that that is used when Jesus approaches the disciples and he finds them mending their nets and so I want you to see what he's doing there so Peter a fisherman he would know this term more than most he would understand what it meant and he begins to use this term and he says this is what God is going to do for every one of us he will mend us he will be near to us he will attend to us he will make us whole he will stand us up on our own two feet that's what confirm means he's gonna he's gonna mend us he's gonna work in us and even though the battle has been heavy even though the difficulties have been real even though there's been all those things that we have faced he is going to strengthen and establish us we trust him and we know the end right we fight from victory satan is defeated and and for some people i think about peter who wrote this letter this for some people he says you know what your past failure he wants to tell us that because of what's in our past that we cannot be effective in the present he wants to tell us that because of our messes and because of our mistakes he wants to render us ineffective in the future he wants us to believe the lie he wants somebody in this room there's people in this room that hear the lie of satan that he says you've gone too far you've messed up too much he's checked you off god's moved on to somebody else and you're no longer useful but i want to tell you something if you're ever tempted to believe that god has you off of his plan I want you to think of Peter I want you to think of him as he counted himself out after three strikes he said man I must be done but Christ deliberately restores him he lifts him up to a place of leadership and he uses him in an incredible way in the early church he he received the grace and forgiveness of God he forgave himself sometimes that's the hardest thing we know that God has forgiven us we come and we approach him and we know that God has forgiven us but we somehow don't believe it so don't think for a minute that your past nullifies God's plans for your future I'm going to close with just a, a quick little story 
my dad was friends with this guy, and he was like a renowned, maybe the national chess champion. I, need to, I should have asked my dad exactly what he was, but he was an incredible chess player. And when I was younger, I loved uh, playing chess. And this guy, he was like the man, right? And he came down to our house, and I had the opportunity to play chess. I was probably maybe Grant's age. I don't remember exactly how old I was, but I had the opportunity to play chess with this guy, man. And he was the chess champion. He was like the man. And so we're playing, and we're doing these kind of things. And, and all of a sudden, what he told me later was kind of the, 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 the chess move that nobody ever makes. I exchanged queens with him in this one moment, which was something he didn't think would happen. And he had all these plans and plots, and I don't remember all the details. And maybe he was just being easy on me, and he could have whipped my pants off even after that move. But when I did that, uh, he... he he was very taken back for a moment, and all of a sudden, the next move, he was in checkmate. I don't even really know how I got there, but it was just this incredible moment uh, that took place in there. And, and when, I, when I think about that moment, there was this move that caught my adversary. It caught the person that I was playing against off guard, and it wrecked every one of their plans. And I want to tell you that repentance is the thing. It is the weapon in the, in the arsenal of followers of Christ that wrecks the plan of the devil because the devil doesn't expect it. The devil thinks that he's going to lock us in to the things that we're going. He thinks that we're going to, we're going to discount the reality of the battle, that we're going to walk in those things. But repentance wrecks the plan of Satan, and he hates it because it moves the hand of God. It, it takes the hand of God in the life of a, of a broken mess like me and it restores him and it lifts him up. Jesus said that he came that we might have abundant life. Listen, the lie says that your past is who you are. The lie says that, that whatever it is, whatever things that sometimes Satan whispers in us, the lie says that that's where we're bound and that's who we are. But the truth is that in Christ that you are righteous, that you are saved, that you are loved. And I want you to understand that Satan is a counterfeit in every way. And that roaring lion that roams about seeking whom he may devour was defeated by the line of Judah, right? I want to tell you something, hallelujah, that Satan was defeated 2,000 years ago on the cross of Christ. The scripture says that the word became flesh and it dwelled among us. That, that Jesus lived a sinless life. Satan tempted him in every way. He took everything that he had and he tried to destroy him. But Jesus was found faithful and he died on the cross. And I can imagine in those moments that the very hounds of hell right that the demons would rejoice in victory that they would uh, celebrate that God is dead but I want you to know that on Sunday morning when the ground began to shake and the stone was rolled away the one who was dead was alive and death had been defeated Satan had been defeated in Revelation 20 glory be to God it says that the old devil the one that had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and we no longer anyway, I'm going to tell you something Colossians it says that, that on the work of the cross that Satan has been disarmed and I want you to know that he walks around with a nerf gun and he tries to hold you up and he tries to keep you down but the fiery darts of the devil they are nothing but nerf bullets my wife when I said I'm going to shoot people she said what if you hit him in the eye I said you got to take some chances every now and then right <laughs> and that's what happens right we got the shield of faith we have the we're not going to get it so far 
But here's the reality. Satan is a defeated foe. He has been disarmed. And we as followers of Jesus Christ, the Bible tells me that the same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives in me. And we no longer have to live defeated. We no longer do those things. Satan's primary weapons is deceit and and just this deception and delusion. And he keeps doing that. He wants to keep us paralyzed with fear. He wants to keep us beat down. But I'm going to tell you something. Don't let Satan get you focused on the size of your battle. But you lift your eyes and you focus on the size of our great God. Victory has been won. Rest in His grace. Man, isn't it good to know? Man, the God of all grace calls you to his eternal glory in Christ well himself and he ain't subbing it out <laughs> it's not up to me to somehow figure out how to get it all done it says he himself will perfect confirm strengthen and establish you to him be the dominion forever and ever this he says is the true grace of God stand firm in it may we stand firm Take the lies of the enemy, recognize them, replace them with the truth, repeat the process, and rest in the marvelous, amazing grace of God. He is not finished with us yet. I want to ask us just to, uh, to take a moment. I want to pray for us, and then I want to introduce a, a family to you. And um, if you're here this morning and you've never trusted in the grace of God, you've been thought maybe you've gone too far I want you to know that God loves you Satan wants to say that because of what you've done that he doesn't but I want you to know that there's nothing you could do to cause him to love you any less and there's nothing you could do to cause him to love you anymore he loves you with a perfect love and he desires right through the through the cross of Christ he's made a way Jesus said I am the way the truth and the life and no man comes to the father except through me in a world where Satan wants us to believe that there are many ways, Jesus said, I am the way. And it is through the cross and through believing in him that we are saved, that we are restored, that we are made new. Scripture says if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature, that all things are passed away and all things become new. And if you've never trusted in the grace of God and you've never surrendered your life to him, I want to invite you uh, to do that this morning. You can call on his name. I'll be around uh, following the service, and we would love to, to just talk uh, to you about what it looks like to follow Christ or to take uh, next steps of obedience in walking with Him. Uh, I want to I pray for us, and then, uh, like I said, I'll introduce a family, and, and we'll close. But, Father, we are grateful, Lord, for being able to gather as your people. Lord, we are thankful for your amazing grace. Lord, we thank you that, Lord, even though we are in a battle, Lord, we recognize that Satan uh, is a defeated foe, Lord, and we fight from victory, Lord. We long for that day, Lord, when, uh, when there will be no more suffering, when there will be no more hard times, when there will be no more difficulties, Lord. But until that day, we stand firm in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, Lord. We uh, lean into your word, Lord. We recognize that we have an enemy, an adversary that would love nothing more than to destroy us or render us ineffective. But, Lord, we run to you, Lord. We we repent of the things that, Lord, where we failed you, Lord, and we are restored, God, in the goodness of who you are. Father, if there's any that don't know you, Lord, I pray that they will uh, surrender their lives, even in this very moment, God, that they might call on your name. 
Lord, that they might confess their need of you, Lord, their sinful nature, Lord, their, the sin, Lord, that has beset them, Lord, but that they might turn from that, Lord. Repentance is the game changer in, in the midst of the battle. And, Lord, may they turn to you and trust you for salvation. Father, we love you. We ask, Father, that you would help us, Lord, to lay all of our cares on you, Lord, to believe the word, Lord, to believe the truth, Lord, that you are enough. God, we love you, we thank you, and we ask this in the strong and mighty name of Jesus. Amen.